somewhere in the Middle East. You know, um, Gary mentioned some joys that we have, we have today, and I also aware that not only have we brought some joys today with us, but some um, some sadness and heartache for some. And we're aware of those. We all bring different things to a group like this. Um, just found out a little while ago that uh, Justin and Angie's two-week-old baby is in uh, Birmingham Hospital. So keep uh, Sadie, little Sadie, in your prayers. She, they're evaluating, may have to have uh, colon surgery. And she's only two, uh, two weeks old. So keep, keep that family in your prayers. I know they're struggling right now with um, dealing with that. Turn to 1 John chapter 4. A craving for certainty. No one has ever seen God. This is a wonderful little passage that we're looking at. Verses 7 through 12 is kind of in its its own little bubble. Uh, Clyde introduced this to us a few weeks ago in a marvelous way, and I'm thankful that he did that. He shared with us his how it changed his thinking and his life, and how he memorized this little passage. And I know that some others have done the same uh, or tried to memorize part of this passage or become familiar with it. And we're looking at this thing called love and what I'm calling God love because when we define love, we define it wrongly sometimes, but God love. And this is not something that we just simply add to a list of characteristics that we're trying to obtain. We don't sit there and say, you know, I, I want to be more loving or more whatever. It's not like saying I want to be more knowledgeable, so I'm going to add more knowledge or goodness or even self-control to, in order to improve our lives. This God love is fundamental. If you make this uh, superficial, if you make it optional, If you put it on the fringe of your life, you'll find that you have something different than true Christianity, what God calls us to have. In fact, you will find you have something different than God, because God is love. So if you put love on the side or just something optional, you're putting God to the side or you're making Him optional. God is love. And God doesn't add love to a list of things we are to do or to be. This is Him. We miss love. We miss God. To say that we overemphasize love is to say we can overemphasize God. We can't overemphasize God. We can't overemphasize love. But on the other hand, if we have an incorrect definition of love, then we have an incorrect definition of God. And that happens often. And so it's true that we can overemphasize the wrong kind of love. It's important that we understand what love is. Therefore, it's essential that we don't miss what is essential. It's important that we stress what is important. God love is essential, important, fundamental Central to the beginning of our walk with God and the continuation of it. That's where we start our Christian walk. And that's what goes on in our Christian walk. One day the Bible says there will be no faith. There will be no hope. 1 Corinthians 13, right at the end, there's the three great things. One day there will be no faith because we'll have sight. 
One day we'll have no hope because we'll be with Him. But you know, when we're glorified, there'll always be love. That will never end. Love will never end. God love will never end. Grow in God love, you grow in God. If you're weak in God love, you're weak in your relationship with God. And I'm not overstressing this fact. In this little letter, John uses this word 46 times. 46 times he brings it up over and over. It must be important because John keeps bringing it up over and over. And if we add that word beloved six more times, 52 times, this word is stressed in this small book. God love sums up the gospel. It's our motivation to change. It directs how we live. It's paramount in our interactions with one another. It's God's reason for sending His Son and, God's, and the reason God's Son came. God love prevents us from sinning. <clears throat> I don't know if you caught that little verse in, um, in one of the songs that, that we sang that, that meant a lot to, uh, to uh, Gary. He sang that to us, or, uh, shared that with us, where it says... Temptation loses its power when you are near. And that's true. Our problem is that we think of God over there. And when we need him, we'll call him and say, come back into my life while I'm dealing with this temptation. The Bible actually, and we're going to see it in this verse. He is here. He is with us. He abides in us. My problem is I forget. I forget that he is here, that he is near. And when I forget, temptation gains its power. But God love prevents us from sinning. It points us in the right direction. It encourages others. And applied correctly, it will always do what's right. If you always want to do what's right, apply love correctly. You'll always do what's right. Without love, there'll be no, there is no salvation, no joy, no assurance. We would be self-centered. We'd be sick emotionally, spiritually, and mentally. And yet, with all this talk about love, every evidence of love in the life of Christ, the clear display and demonstration of His love toward us, there's still this deep-rooted craving for certainty. I know it's true for me, for we want to be sure, we want to know for sure that God is with us, that God loves us. In our weakness, we ask, how can I truly, really, for certain, know that God loves me? How can I know that He saves me? Where is the solid evidence? I know it's in history. I know that we, we see it in history. We've read about it. We, we, right there in, the, in these verses, we see that Jesus gave Himself for us. He died for us. Okay, that was 2,000 years ago. Okay, I understand that. I'm glad for that. It's in history. And I hear the theology. I hear the, the words from the Bible. But I just, in a practical way, I want to know. How can I know it in a practical way? The answer is right here in this verse. And I want to warn you ahead of time. Some of you are going to be disappointed. If you're looking for a voice, a vision, some kind of miraculous happening in your life, you'll find yourself second-guessing, wondering if God really loves you.
But if you'll be satisfied with God's answer here, you'll find it satisfactory. And it's for everyone. It's for every person. I know things happen to people that they, they see this marvelous working of God. But this is not just for the chosen few. This is not for the saint who's a prayer warrior or the missionary who evangelized thousands and then died a martyr. This is for everyone. Most of us would like or really love to be that one in a million Christian who rises above all doubt. Just, ah, I'm, I'm confident. And yet what I've read from these people of faith who we often hold up and say, yeah, that's the type of person I want to be. And from my personal experience in talking to people that I think are these wonderful saints, they struggle as much as not more than the rest of us blue-collar Christians. We all struggle with this. And that's why God has given us a way that we can be certain of His love for us, be certain of Him in our lives. And it's in this verse 12. Let me read it to you. No one has ever seen God. But if we love one another, God lives in us, and His love is made complete in us. Hmm. Let's look at that. No one has ever seen God. That seems out of, if you read the context, I was thinking about just going back and reading the context, but you can read it later on. It seems kind of out of place. It's like, why is he bringing this up at this point? I think John here is introducing kind of a sub-theme. So we have to kind of look back and say, well, what has he done? In verses 9 through 11, this is an amplification of verse 7. Verse 7 basically says, it doesn't use these words, but it's saying God is love. And so this theme throughout these, all these verses that we've looked at so far, verses 7 through 11, has been loving one another. Have you, have you caught on to that yet? This theme is loving one another through these verses. And then in verse 7, we can see this, how it's so centered in God when he says in verse 7, love comes from God. And it points us to love. That's the source. It links us to God. Everyone who loves has been born of God. This was from the very beginning. You are, if it, it, love is the evidence that you've been born of him. And it makes us like God. He says we know God. And that word knowing God means having a relationship with him, intimate knowledge of him, understanding him. And so we see all through here that it's all centered on God, not us. So the question keeps, comes up again. How can I really know God? How can I be sure of this love that we have, that God has for us? Later on, in chapter 5, verse 13, John's going to look back on this whole book. And he's going to say, I write these things to you so that you may know. That you have eternal life. I'm writing this to you so that you'll know you have eternal life. And it's in these verses that we're considering, this verse that we're considering today, that we see this assurance. Something about this assurance that God loves us. And he points this out in a negative way. Maybe you've noticed this also in, in, in this letter. He will state things in a negative way. Kind of to catch our attention, I think, or to flip it on its side or upside down so we can get, a, get, get another uh, view of it. And so he says it this way, no one has seen God. All right? And that's true. No one has actually seen God. All the manifestations we've been reading through the Old Testament, and some of you may say, oh, what about those 70 in Exodus who saw the face of God? All right? 
they didn't see God. They saw a manifestation of him. They saw something that God revealed to them to to so that so they could see, see, get a sense of his power and his glory. When they went up to Mount Sinai and they see this, the mountain shaking and the clouds and the lightning and the thunder, that wasn't God. That was a manifestation of him. So the, uh, theologians put a little word there. They call it a theophany. It's just a, a manifestation of God. No one has actually seen God. The clearest picture we have of him, John himself tells us. John 1, verse 18, he says, no one has seen God. This is in verse 18. It's kind of parallel to this. He says, but God, the only, the one and only son who is at the Father's side, he has made him known. And so he's saying, when I, you look at Jesus, you see God in flesh. Over in verse four, chapter 14, it's one of my favorite. It's the passage, one of the passages that makes my, the hair, on the, I do have hair on the back of my neck, just not on the top. Hair on the back of my neck tingle. <laughs> Remember that passage where Philip says, just show us the Father and it'll be enough. He says that to Jesus. Just show us the Father. That's all we want. Just show us him to us. Jesus says, oh, Philip. You've known me this long and you don't see me? Wow. He's saying, look at me. That's enough. All you need to do is see me. A direct viewing of God while we're in the flesh would, I I don't know what it would do to us. I I think it'd be like going into the sun. What would happen to us? We We would cease to exist. God is so awesome that words can't even describe him. There's the words that describe him go over and over, trying to give us a sense of how great he is from, from Genesis 1 all through. God spoke, and there was light. We can't even imagine that kind of power. We speak, and things can happen, sure, but not like, like God. So I think John is t- saying this to us in this, these few little words. He's saying, avoid the temptation of wanting to know through sight. Philip wanted that. Just show us the Father and it'll be enough. Show us the Father is going to blow you out of the water, Philip. Just look at me. That's enough. 2 Corinthians 5, 7 says, makes it clear that our lives are to be walks of faith, not sight. He just says it real clear. We walk by faith, not sight. And yet there's this yearning for many to different degrees from different personalities, to the experience God in some physical way. I want to experience God. The vision, the voice, the feeling, the speaking in tongues, the seeing of a miracle, something to, that confirms there's God. A financial blessing, church growth, some kind of sign that says, yeah, God's with me. I shared with you, how many years ago I had five choices, five choices laid out in front of me. Some were more uh, exciting than others or more appealing than others. And I spent a week in prayer and fasting. And I remember sitting at my desk and saying, a week from today, I'm going to pray and I'm going to fast for a week. And I looked at a little clock on my desk. and It was almost noon. And I said, OK, I'm not going to lunch from now on for, for a week. One week later, I'm watching the second hand. I don't know if we, we have those anymore, but the second hand clicking toward noon. I'm like, God, 
I asked for a sign. I got nothing. Click, click. It's going to happen in one second. Well, I guess it didn't happen. And that's how we are. We got, show me something. Show me something, God, that confirms that you love me, that you're here with me, that, that, I'm, that I'm saved. Show me something. And that's dangerous because it leads us to misinterpretation of the Scriptures. We'll start reading the Scriptures looking for signs. It's like, uh, okay, God, you tell me what to do. This is how Jerusalem was taken. Oh, well, that didn't work. You know, sometimes people do that. Just kind of open the Bible. It's a sign from God. God's going to tell me something. Or a misinterpretation of experience. I've had a lot of people say, God wants me to do whatever. And sometimes it's not, I mean, some, some things I can, I can go over to the Bible and say, well, the Scripture tells you not to, but I know, I just, I feel this is true. We're misinterpreting, mis, misinterpretation of our experience. John reminds us, no one has ever seen God, so don't seek that experience. And yet, you can know God, you can know His love, you can know His salvation. How? God lives in us if we love one another. Our assurance is based in that he abides in us. And how do I know that he's in me? It's not how I feel. You know, I know I have a spirit. I know that by faith. I've never felt my spirit that, that I know of. I, I've never, you know, I just, there's, sometimes there's a feeling, but I don't think it's my spirit. And I don't think you can, die, you can feel it. You can't see it. If you're dissected, you know, you, you can't see a spirit. I heard of one doctor or someone that wanted to see how much a soul weighed. And so he took people who were dying and put them on a, a very elaborate scale. And when they died, you know, he tried to weigh their soul. Well, how much does the spirit weigh? And came up with something. And I'm thinking, oh, it could have been the air that they, you know, they went out of their lungs, their last breath. I don't know. But it's just getting that feeling, you know, how, how, how can we know what the Spirit is? God is that way. God is Spirit. So how, we can't see Him, we can't touch Him, we can't feel Him. How do I know He's in me? He says this way, if we love one another. If we act in God love, that's the evidence that He lives in us, that we have His love in us. If he loves us, he saves us. I warned you. I told you some of you are going to be disappointed with the answer. That's the answer that God. I want more than that, though. Yeah, this, I, want, I want something else. Just this love. Is that enough? God said, that's what I'm giving you. And that's enough. The question is, is my faith sufficient to believe that truth? Sometimes we have to let go of that desire of wanting some other kind of visible proof and rely on the manifestation that God has given us. When you love your brothers and sisters and you grow in this God love, that's proof enough that God dwells in you. I can hear what you're thinking. Some of you are saying, but sometimes I don't feel like I love other people. Yeah, so you got one answer right there. 
don't feel like I love other people. And here's our problem. We go to our feelings. I don't feel this love for others. Okay. But God love is an action. What are you doing? That's the question, not what you're feeling. You don't always feel like loving, but you can love. Chapter 3, we saw this difference between world love and God love. He said, do not love like Cain. Not like Cain. Don't love like him. We spent time in that area to look at that. Go back and look at it again. He says, don't love like that. And then sometimes I don't even God love perfectly. We're not talking about flawless God love, but active God love. Performed no matter how weak, no matter how poorly you do it. You're growing then in that area. That's what matters. It's not flawless God love, but active God love that matters. Are you actively loving others? And some of you are so full of self-doubt that you're, I don't know. Have you ever prayed for someone who mistreated you? Have you ever forgiven a brother or sister? Have you ever released a debt that someone had? Have you given up a Saturday to help someone, an afternoon? Have you given money or time to help the unlovely? Have you tried to share God's message of grace with other people? We could go on and on. That's evidence of God love in your life. And when that happens, when you do that, you know God dwells in you. Further to show that this love is enough. He says, his love is made complete in us. In one verse, uh, John is saying here, don't look for something God hasn't promised you. Don't look for something else. Don't look for some kind of sign. All the evidence you need is active God love working in your life. That's all you need. And you need to learn to love as I have loved you, he says. And that will truly change you and how you think. And it will change others around you. When we center our lives in how God loved us, how he demonstrated that love, how he displayed that love, and then work out that love, that same God love in our lives toward others. John says that's all you need. That's all the evidence you need. It's all we need for life. It's all we need to fulfill that craving for certainty. Because what is it? It's God-centered. Where are you centering your life? You're centering it on what God has done for you and you're working out of that love instead of centering on what you do and your inconsistencies and your weaknesses and, what, and the problems that you have and the sins that you're dealing with. When you focus on there, when you focus on yourself, I guarantee you, you will always question whether God loves you or not because you can't love him the way he loves you. When you look at what you do and what, how you failed if you focus on that, if you're man-centered, if you focus on yourself, you will always doubt. You will always be without assurance. But when you focus on what he's done, his love, how he demonstrated that love, that's the focus of your life. That song we, we, kept, we kept singing, I need thee every hour. The, the, the point that I was getting from that song is the, the focus, I need him every hour. Some of the words had the had the implication that God's over there and we're calling God here. But let's put that to the side. The point of it was, I need you every moment of my, of my life. That's where my focus needs to be. That's where my attention needs to be. And when my attention is there, 
when in my weakness I don't do the right thing. My attention is what he has done, how he has lived in my life, how he is working in my life, how he has forgiven me. When I focus on that, I can be sure that I'm saved. I can be sure that he loves me. John says it in this way. His love is made complete in us. Some of your versions will say made perfect. Made complete, made perfect. And I like that word. I think it's the right word. Perfect is the right word. And it doesn't mean perfect in the sense of being 100% correct. It's not perfect in the sense of never doing anything wrong. Here's a little meme here. Perfection. Remember from uh, Princess Bride? I do not think it means what you think it means. Sometimes we use that word in the wrong way. We think it means 100% perfection, flawless, never doing anything wrong. That's not what this word means. What does it mean? It means to have a a goal, a purpose, to accomplish or bring something to its intended goal or reason for existence. It's saying perfect is that this is what I'm shooting for, this goal, this, this achievement here. So we put into practice God loves in, in our life. When we start practicing God love, even if we do it incorrectly or not, not as well as we want to, when we put it into uh, to, uh, practice in our life, God's love into our life, God says, that's my purpose. That's my goal. That's what I want you to do. I want you to love one another. And then when you do it, and you do it really poorly, you don't do it the way you, you, you want to, but you're doing it. God says, perfect. That's what I want you to do. God who is unseen, who will not be seen, first revealed himself, revealed God love to us through the life of his son and through his atoning sacrifice. We looked at that in the previous verse. But it doesn't stop there. It doesn't stop there. The amazing fact is that God love continues to be revealed in our lives when we love one another. Not flawless love, but perfect love. Love that reaches God's goal. This is God's goal. When we love one another, God says, perfect. His goal is accomplished. That's what he wants. God's goal is not for us to have a hundred baptisms. Or to meet the budget. Or to add two life talks. Or to have more teachers in the primary, elementary school. God's goal in his aim is that you love one another. So when you put money in the collection plate, out of love for one another, God says, perfect. When you give and you meet the budget, it's perfect. And when you give out of love and you don't meet the budget, God says, perfect. See, God wants you to love one another. The money he'll take care of. And so when the finance committee responds in love to a budget deficit, (laughs) God says, perfect. And I'm serious about that too, though. Because, see, the point is, and, and we could go to, uh, we don't have time. I'm not going to go there. But Second uh, Corinthians 8 and 9, just read that. And we see how he says, you give not out of compulsion. You give, really, if you look at the whole text, out of love. 
He uses the word a couple of times there, but he, he's saying you give out of the generosity of what's been given to you because of God's love for you. You give to others. That's what God wants. When God sees you giving that way, he says, perfect. Well, we're $2,000 short of our budget. It doesn't matter. You gave in love. Perfect. That's what God wants. Our struggle and goal is to learn to respond in love. Often we don't. That's our struggle. That's our problem. We try and fix things all, uh, all sorts of ways. And we don't realize the whole goal of God in our lives is to love. When you share your faith in love, it's perfect. When you visit the sick, you help the poor, you cook for the sick out of love for one another, not out of any kind of compulsion, not out of guilt, not out of obligation, not out of fear, but out of love, God says, perfect. Jesus said it this way. If anyone gives you a cup of water in my name, because you belong to Christ, he will certainly not lose his reward. If you give in my name, if you've been with us any length of time, I, I keep hitting this over and over. What does in my name mean? It means in my character, the character of Jesus. That's what name meant in the, in the Bible. You've, we've seen that in the Old Testament. If it, maybe it's been discussed. A name uh, spoke of someone's character. And so when Jesus said, if something is given in my name, out of my character, what's his character? His character is love. So you give a cup of cold water out of, out of love, out of the character of Christ, that reward will not, it's, it's, that won't be in vain. That's just a cup of cold water. We need to do greater things than that. Well, you might be called to greater things. But a cup of cold water, if that's all you can do. You do it in love, perfect. God expressed His love through His Son, and now He expresses His love through us. Isn't that amazing that God would put His love in, in these weak vessels and people who mess up all the time, and God says, no, that's what I want to do. I want to express my love. I did it through my Son. Now I want to do it through you. Go out there and do it. Express God's love. You're doing the perfect thing. You can be certain that He abides in you, you can be certain of His relationship with, with you because you're doing the perfect thing. Let's read this summation paraphrase. You can't see the unseen God. No one ever has, so don't expect God to come and tell you you're all right and you're doing well. However, if we practice God's love with one another, we can be certain that God has made His home in us. We experience the knowledge that He dwells in us. Then each time we show God love, God Himself says, perfect. That's the way I created you to live. All right. That's your assignment for this week. Love one another. Do that. Perfect. Do that in an inadequate way. As just whatever you're doing. Perfect. Grow in it. Perfect. Keep at it. Perfect. Whatever application is in your life, whether it's feeding someone, sharing your faith with someone, helping someone, whatever it is, perfect. If we can help you in a public way, come forward. Perfect. That's all we want. Share God's love with you as we stand and as we sing.